speed of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It is the listener call-in show for November 2021. Andy here for the minute just to say hello to you and introduce you to this month's call-in. It was a great time recording it thanks to everyone who got in touch and it was great to hear so many more new listeners get in touch as well. Dan does join me after a couple of calls. He missed the first few, but the calls were fantastic this month. We talked on a whole range of subjects, including nuclear connection, uh, the need for meetups, and you know frequency of potential cancers and biological effects. We talked about thunderstorms, time portals, tic-tacs evading pilots, and a whole lot more as well as that. Our new breakdown show is out just now where we talk about the amendments to the language in the Senate bill. We also share some non-spoilery thoughts on the new Eternals movie because there are some very interesting UFO themes in there too. So please check that one out. Thanks to everyone who has left us recent reviews on Apple and any other podcasting platform. We really do appreciate it. And again, just a reminder, folks, if you want to support the podcast, if you're on Apple, jump onto Apple Podcasts and you can sign up for a two-week free trial of Apple Premium. That gives you access to the shows early and also advert-free. I take out all the ads that potentially could be in there. And then also you can sign up on Patreon for a whole host of benefits as well as the same ones you get on Apple Premium too, including access to the very popular Discord chat as well. And also, if you want to support the podcast and get a little something back at this time of year, we still have the option of Manscaped and our promo code. So check out manscaped.com and use the promo code andyufo that's manscaped.com and promo code andyufo for 20% off and free shipping it does make a difference to the podcast as well we of course get a little bit of kickback which helps us pay some of the bills and of course don't forget Zencaster if you're looking to start up your own podcast record meetings all that kind of stuff Zencaster is offering 40% off with the promo code UFO podcast just check out zencaster.com for that as well without further ado let's get right into the show this month and we're going to kick off in the United States with Joe in Ohio. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate being here. Yeah, no, it's good to have you. Thanks for calling in. Listen, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Well, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the old Marvel Comics, What If? Um, but- <laughs> you know what? I- I'm not old enough to remember the comics. I knew about the series when they announced it a little while back. And yes. if-, if you remember, I'd done a couple of shows called What If? 
Yep. And then yep. it was then I saw that series was coming out, and Dan was like, "Did you not know about that?" And I was like, "No, I'd never heard of it." But yeah, I, I'm I'm aware of it now. Yeah. Well, my first my first point is my brain works in what ifs, and this whole phenomenon is a big what if, and the uh, the nuclear connection it seems to be a, a pretty strong connection over the years, and and the general thought process seems to be that they're warning us about something or trying to stop it or doing something. But what if they were trying to learn the technology? What if humans somehow stumbled into a way to split the atom and, and this phenomenon never did? You know, so what if they're, what if they're studying nuclear, the process to, I don't know that they're warning us at all. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting one. My my thoughts on it is that they they don't necessarily have this same technology. Maybe we are on the right path to something, and we've done it in a very raw way. Sure. And they're they're kind of looking, going, "Okay, you've you've got the right idea, but you're you're maybe not quite there yet." And they're keeping an eye on it. Um, f- for me, I do you know what was really interesting? I think you look at this and go, because they must be so much more advanced than us. Then they have anything we have, but a thousand times better, or they don't need it anymore. And I even talked recently on one of the pods about, you know, why would these craft need windows? And I was like, well, you know, mm-hmm. why not? It's very, again, it's that human thing, isn't it? Of, well, they, they shouldn't need windows. They should have two-way viewing or whatever they need for that kind of stuff. But again, maybe that just works. So I, I would think that they're they're studying, definitely. I think it's more observational. When it comes mm-hmm. to the nuclear stuff, I think it is that old analogy of the kids have found the matches. Right. Um, <laughs> that Dan talked about on the recent podcast, you know, the gorilla in the zoo with the key. Yep. And it doesn't know it's got the key to do what it's going to do, but the gorilla's playing with the key. And, if, and maybe these zookeepers, whatever they are, are they're watching us play with the key and they're wondering, are they, is the gorilla going to figure out how to get the key in the lock? And are they going to figure the out the next step? Yeah, or are they just going to mess about with the key and sit and brush their hair with it and throw it at people and and use it in the wrong way? Sure, sure. Uh, that, it kind of brings me to my my second point. You made the comment, and I heard your podcast about the windows in the in the craft. Um, what I see is a a big problem, and we don't know any better because we don't know what we don't know. But we have to assign human assumptions to everything. We assume this is something with eyes that could even see out a window. Um, we assume that there's something in some of these crafts, at least, where they could look out a window. Um, there's always, as in any investigation, there's a who, what, when, where, why. And we know some of the wheres, and we know some of the whens, but we instantly seem to jump to the why. Why are they here? Why are they doing what they're doing? And we don't even know the what yet. Um, as far as we know, these these uh, Tic Tacs and and the go fast could be some kind of an intergalactic insect that's just flying around and not doing anything. You know, we, but we don't know. We can't, that's all we have to go on is our human assumptions and what we know, but we could be so far off. Um, I, th- I think you're right on that. And that's where for me, something like the, the <laughs> application of artificial intelligence could be massive in this Yes, because I, and I saw someone mention the AI is only as good as the program that, that writes it, but, that the best ai can learn and evolve which is yes. a scary thing in itself we've all seen terminator and those kind of movies right, but right. The, the, the practical applications of it is that something it can be looking for something that we aren't 
it can find patterns within, you know, I think Tom DeLong talked about biblical texts and various yes. religious texts going through the millennia where it could scan through it and just something we're totally missing. Or it could highlight something altogether of, do you know what, here's something it's found in all of this stuff which points to X. And, and, and that's it. You take away that kind of human bias, don't you? Because everything is... It's fun speculation. Like you talk about the Windows stuff. Maybe the Windows are for our benefit. Maybe it's like, <laughs> right. yeah. Like, I mean, the Tic Tac from what we hear had no um, obvious signs of, you know, like a porthole or an exhaust or anything. It was just a smooth Correct. shell. There's yep. various conflicting reports as to whether it had the two little legs underneath. Right. Right. I've seen some artist impressions where they've got four. I've seen <laughs> where it's got the two, one front, one at the back. But then I've, I've heard otherwise that it just had the smooth kind of shell. So again, it's, it's a case of maybe some of these craft that are occupied have windows for our benefit. Maybe they've got windows for a purpose that are just totally not what we would think. Maybe they aren't even, maybe they aren't windows. Maybe it's something else. But to us, it looks like a window, but it yeah. serves some totally f- other function that's just so incredible that we couldn't even think that, oh, that's what it's for. And we could be missing a totally basic law of physics that we don't, aren't even aware of that could allow us to do everything they're doing very simply, and we just are completely unaware of it. That's it. We're stuck with that kind of yeah, human problem that we have to go, oh, well, we would do this, so why wouldn't they? It's yeah. And it goes it goes the other way as well, though, like I've mentioned several times about, oh, people argue, but why would these craft crash? Well, why not? Why does it have to be infallible? Just because the technology is... Seemingly so much further ahead than ours. I mean, they're not putting petrol or diesel in these things. Correct. What we don't know what could or couldn't go wrong with them. Yep. If it's something manufactured, there's always a chance of failure. Exactly, and and like you say, maybe some (laughs) of these things are are some sort of biological entity. I think Dan talked about that with me recently as well on on the pod. Uh, You said some kind of intergalactic insect. Why not? I know. Why not? That would explain the behavior, the erraticness. Like I talked about, the, like a fly. When you're trying yeah. to swat a fly, and no matter how many times it gets near you and annoys you, it moves out the way. Yes. And that's what these tic tacs seem to be able to do. No matter how Correct. close to get to them, they, they can shoot off at incredible speeds and maybe they see things differently. So I'm, I'm with you on that one, yeah. Yeah. And I do have one more point. I want to respect your time here. Um, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but you're, <laughs> you're getting a big enough following. And I know you get a lot of praise. But what are some of the criticisms that you get? Do you see a common a common denominator in some of the criticisms you get? Um, on, honestly, other um, than Dan being on mute, yeah. Um, nah, people are pretty. I mean, I, I quite enjoy checking some of the YouTube comments as that's taken off. And it's like someone said the other day, it was a uh, was it pointless, pointless podcast, meaningless podcast, okay. and I was like. I just said thank you. I agree, um, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you're you're never going to please everyone. I, honestly, for me, it tends to be the the accent, which is really? is it doesn't that generally doesn't bother me. Nothing tends to bother me. Um, I think that's where most of the trolls tend to leave it alone because they'll see myself and Dan will engage with people in the chats, and it's just like, look, we'll, we'll talk to you. It's fine. You know, you don't have to like it. Thanks for spending the time listening or watching. But a- any criticisms tend to be can't understand the, the host but if people stick with it they tend to be okay after a couple of oh yeah a couple of yeah. shows um, definitely i am aware i talk very quickly and everything and it's just a scottish thing it's our accent um 
but I'm I'm kind of slowing that down for for people. So, and I'm doing it purposely now as I talk to you because I'm aware of it. But when you get, it's, I think it's natural when you get excited about anything, especially this topic, and you get into the flow of conversation, you start to pick up pace, and like sure. we're going back and forward, Joe, and I start to come back on you, you come back on me, and it's just natural that happens in conversation. But yeah, I've I've been honestly really surprised at the the lack of lack of criticism in that sense like i'm always open to feedback and and all that kind of stuff but i think the podcast is the way it is i think it's worked well because there's been a lot of it i haven't planned massively and stuff has worked well because it's been organic or it's grown and there's been things i've started that i've dropped after one one attempt or one show because ah, it it didn't work or i didn't feel it or whatever um but no i i'm i'm open for for any feedback or improvements and stuff like that but it's it's trying to keep the the podcast the way the way i think it should be and the way i kind of do it and it's i suppose the really cheesy one would be true to myself as people would say but um <laughs> but yeah no nah, any criticism from you no not at all and actually i think you're an excellent interviewer and, and sometimes you're interviewing some pretty big guns and uh and you do you do an excellent job at it Thanks. Do you know what? I, I try and make sure I do it differently because, especially in this community, there's a lot of really great channels and and different channels. Like you've got like Project Unity, you've got Unidentified sure. Celebrity Review, Christina Gomez, Somewhere in the Skies, Witness Citizen. So there's all these different shows, and a lot of them have their their own styles. And at the same time, we can all end up with the same guest. Oh, and yeah. I always try and make sure that if people are listening to. <laughs> To, the, to an interview so in a couple of weeks I've got John Ramirez who's currently Good. doing the rounds a little bit you know former CIA I've mm-hmm. got questions and I'm, I'm a bit curious about a few different aspects of, of the guy himself um, but he's done an interview with Sean Rash he's done one with Project Unity I like to make sure that when people listen to mine they've not heard it before correct uh, and that's that's, that's with anyone so because that's what I would want to hear and that was that's one of the reasons I started the podcast so so yeah, it seems to work, and and thanks for for saying I'm a good interviewer. It's I'm just nosy and curious. So, <laughs> oh, that's where it starts. But good, I won't take up any more of your time. Joe, it's been awesome speaking with you. Uh, make sure you call in again next time, okay? Sure will. Thank you very much. We're going to move over from Joe in Ohio now to James in Hastings. James, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Excellent. Good to hear from you. Listen, James, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? So I think um, gravitating from your recent uh, meetup in London with the established Lou Elizondo, um, it's sort of emphasizing a thought that I've had recently, the the, the need for real meetups with people. Um, not necessarily with the, the celebrities like Lou, but just with the, the people from you know Twitter and anybody else who is interested in the subject. Um, it's just important to, to meet up in person. Um, I think the problems mm-hmm. that we have on Twitter, like, for instance, uh, the, the trolls, the, the arguments, and anything else going on, which just takes up time yeah. unnecessarily, this just disappears when you're mostly in person. You you have the ability to filter very quickly based on face-to-face interaction, and I think that's that's very important. Um, yeah. So I think it, going forwards in the future, if, if there's some possibility of doing regular meetups, we'll, we'll have to work out how exactly. Um, but I think it's a, probably of great benefit to the community in the long term to actually meet up with people. 
I absolutely agree with you. Um, but the, the audience for the podcast is is quite split. Usually it's like more than half is based in the US and obviously I am not. Uh, and we've got a, a good chunk of the audience then based in the UK. I know definitely in the immediate future for the podcast and for, for the gents at UAP Media, we're looking to arrange some things for next year where people can come and meet, not, not just us, but meet each other. Um, it was really nice when I was in London last week yeah I got to meet Ryan Sprague and Lou and and the guys from the group but um, some of the listeners came and met me who are based in London uh, for a coffee while I was waiting on my train as well and that was really nice and like you say it's just meeting people face to face and and seeing them and talking through stuff and it's really good to do that and I think you're right it would maybe alleviate a lot of the the tensions that sometimes happen and people build up not necessarily characters but it builds up online behind 280 character you know texts <laughs> and people can lose a lot of context and messages and i am all for healthy debate and i've had a few times where people say i'm really sorry to argue and i'm like don't be it doesn't have to be an argument you can just debate and go back and forward and you know it's, it's interesting because that's how you can learn and change and, and form a new opinion um or you can just agree to disagree and go do you know what you think this i think this then, then brilliant but uh, I think with things getting more back to normal, I think there'll be a lot more meetups next year. I know there's a few events already planned for the UK. It would be great, personally, if if I could get something on myself. I, I would like to do that, but we'll we'll see. That's early days for all that stuff. But there's a few things I'll be looking to get along to next year that other people are putting on, even if we don't get to do something ourselves. And it'd be, again, great to meet people face-to-face, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, second point, um, I noticed recently, or it occurred to me that the, the, the frequency of cancers among people who have been in very close contact with something UFO related seems to be a little bit too high. And this is dangerous because, um, sort of thinking about, uh, just taking up, you know, things that you've picked up from Twitter or or elsewhere is not necessarily real information. Mm -hmm. But off the top of my head, there was Chase, who you interviewed, who was a MUFON investigator. Um, Yes. One of the encounters in the Skinwalkers book recently, um, they were describing the person who had cancer as well as a result of the the Blue Orbs encounter. And if I don't... Biotech engineer, yeah. Yes, this guy. And um, if I remember correctly, I think Stephen Greer had a personal friend who also died of of some, I don't know how rare the cancer was. Just from a statistical point of view, it would be very interesting if we could get a little bit more data on that. And that's difficult because it's personal medical data. But rare cancers can be extraordinarily rare in the order of, you know, one in a million or, or, or even less frequent than that. It'd be very interesting if there was, in fact, a collection of people who say that they've had encounters which were particularly close and they've had particularly rare forms of cancer. It would be quite easy to do the statistics on that and work out that that was highly unlikely. It would be a very interesting data point if it was possible to gather this data. Yeah, I think like you touched on there with the the Skinwalker Ranch uh incident not necessarily it was on the ranch but it was involved in the book uh the the biotech engineer like you say got a, a rare form of of cancer luckily was, was treatable um you've got patient confidentiality which is always going to affect these things but i think when you hear them talking about at a governmental level you know biological effects being one of the observables now that's what they're looking at people getting these illnesses from it 
and it got me thinking, James. I, I was watching last night a, a documentary that's coming out soon, and one of the talking heads was talking about experiencers and you know all these, all these wonderful experiences people have had about going on board craft and and meeting beings and, and orbs and all this, all this stuff. Very much on the love and light side of things. But it makes you wonder, are, are, are any of these people getting ill as well? Because what we are hearing is that whether it's intent, it's meant to happen or not, people do get ill from contact or close contact with these objects. So there, there's a real question there for me of why do some people tend to get ill and some people don't? It, the, the obvious one would be, are some of these people who are claiming to have these experiences who aren't getting ill, are they all being completely genuine? Is there a case for when you're having experiences or not necessarily abductions, but, you know, a positive that someone claims to have been on board a craft and have gone to a different star system? Is it a case of if it's a a subconscious thing, then there's no physical effects. But when it's the physical body, then is that when people start to get ill because our, our own bodies can't handle whatever it is that maybe makes these craft go or just traveling through the universe or, or universes so there's a lot of questions to to go on that and i suppose you can go down a massive rabbit hole with it um maybe just different beings different craft to have different effects on us but w- what do you think yourself i f- i don't know but i think it'd be interesting to, to to separate them because potentially the intent of the phenomenon could be related to whether you are in danger or not if they're if they're doing the the mental based sort of extraction of your consciousness and taking you off somewhere else and doing that, presumably you're not at risk of getting cancer or something like that. The other encounters where you're actually interacting very closely is that a different type of person who is doing that, using the term loosely, um, maybe the intent is different. So I don't know. It's interesting. Sure, and you had one more point uh, regarding uh, a book. Is that correct, James? So I think I've thought this for a little while now. I think that it's kind of the time where we we need to get a, a good coffee book out there somehow, something with potentially lots of images and, and and glossy text, but something that might be a little bit more applicable to the general person sitting in in a coffee store uh, or. or um, you know, your local book publisher, something that you can flip through, something which gives you a good high-level overview, something which doesn't go too deep, and something which focuses on the main facts that we can generally verify fairly obviously and easily. Things which are sort of more generally accepted than necessarily going down too much of the woo subject. But it sort of feels like we need this sort of book. Um, If there's somebody out there who is in the right position to do this sort of thing, um, I'm offering my time to to help put that together in some way, um, and you know, publish that. I know um, Graham, for instance, he's he's put together the the wonderful Foo Fighters book, uh, and it's amazing. But it's very very deep. It's very detailed, and the time investment is very high. And I think generally in this subject, if you want to get into it, the time investment is still really high. And to kind of get this applicable to a wider audience, it, it needs to have a kind of you're looking for kind of the the 20 minute deep dive into the subject without going too deep um so i'm just putting it out there and uh maybe maybe we can start something i don't know 
yeah so so that that's a really interesting one that's something i i will never claim to be a writer or, or anything like that but i've had an idea not too dissimilar to, to what you're talking about um that i reckon i could put together and it wouldn't be anything like the, the books that we see released by you know graham or ryan sprague or, or these types of authors but something aimed at people getting into the subject easy to pick up and put down you say that kind of coffee book type a coffee table type book where they can flick through it having a coffee you know even you get those books that people keep in their toilet that they can sit and guests can have a flick through as well that's not massively detailed but it's a nice introduction to the subject and something they can pick through so but yeah it's it's an interesting idea if someone else gets that out then I'm sure there's room for plenty of them but I've I've had a couple of ideas myself on that James so it's interesting you bring that one up it's actually the uh, it's the best Christmas stocking filler possibly. <laughs> yeah, uh, but listen, James, great speaking with you, and uh, make sure you call in again next time, okay, mate? Thank you very much. Thanks to James and Hastings, we're heading back over to the United States, and we have Carl joining us. Carl, how are we doing today? I'm well, Andy. Thank you. How are you? I am very well. Almost like we're doing this for the second time after a slight technical issue, isn't it? You know me, I'm, I'm always one, to be honest. But listen, uh, Carl, I had my eyebrows raised on uh, your submission for the call-in because you mentioned you want to talk about thunderstorms, time portals, and creating warp bubbles in a lab. That's uh, that's some interesting stuff to be talking about. So uh, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about on that first? Yeah, thanks, Andy. I... Um... You know, a love the show. Thanks for having me back on. So, time, uh, time dilation, warp bubbles, and thunderstorms. Uh, so, a couple weeks ago, I was on uh, the APEC conference, the Advanced Propulsion Engineering Conference, and a gentleman named David Perez came on and talked about his research and experiments uh, uh, with warp bubbles and um, and a device that is seemingly um, moving uh, moving through space uh, just using electricity. So his research started out with some observations about uh, thunderstorms, specifically when two thunderstorms collide, and some historical ca- accounts of pilots experiencing time dilation uh, when they fly through um, a, basically a tunnel that forms when um, these thunderstorms collide. And w- what David realized was that these thunderstorms are producing antimatter. Uh, which uh, he, he seemingly uh, has evidence for um, through NASA. And um, he took that research um, kind of tracking, I should say, it's really interesting. He actually correlated these events with um, with solar wind and high-speed solar winds. And so it was just even fascinating to think about the idea that thunderstorms are tapping into solar winds and and, and maybe that's where all of this power magnitude that is, is necessary is coming from. Um, and so he took this idea and back to the lab and, and created a device that replicated the fields of the thunderstorms and has produced experimentally a warp bubble that will compress space in front of the device and pull the device forward. That's a little bit, uh, you, you're, sound much more scientifically astute than myself but when bob lazar talked about how the crafts move 
that it's the space in front of them is pushed down. He used the bowling ball analogy of putting your fist in front of a bowling ball and the object would fall into the space, but keep falling into the space because the space is continually being moved in front of it. And it's interesting. I know you said it was a very, very small amount the object moved, but I've seen videos recently as well where they're using like sound waves to suspend water droplets in there and you see the water droplets being placed on top of each other and, and they hover. And do you mm. suppose we're, we're at the very early stages or the infancy of tapping into this sort of technology that these craft may be using? Is that what you're thinking? So, yeah, is this man-made? I, I think there's a, a definite possibility that it could be. You know, I, th- I think that if, if these are, uh, if the laws of physics that Tic Tacs are using is accessible in our universe, then eventually it will be man-made. And um, if people have been thinking about these ideas and these laws of physics for more than 10 years, then yeah, I think there's a really good chance that somebody probably has cracked this. Um, So we're probably playing catch up. How do we get to that point though, do you think? Because if you've got someone like David who's managing to create these at that very base level, surely you've then got and forget the the conspiracy side of it that the government's got this technology. Why doesn't someone like Elon Musk, who clearly doesn't care about governments and all that kind of stuff, who is sending these rockets up into space still with a level of fuel and all at great expense, why doesn't he, do you think, look into this sort sort of you know propulsion? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe he is, and he's not talking about it. Um, I think that's certainly reasonable. But I think that the realm of what they have is functional in terms of rocketry far exceeds where we're at right now. So if they need something to utilize, they have rockets that are they're making advances on and perfecting. Um, and I, I actually think that that no matter the scenario, I think for long distance travel, you're probably going to need rockets uh, for dealing with, uh, you know, minute, you know, fine tuned uh, things. Um, and, you know, even if gravity propulsion is possible, you're probably going to need a combination of both technologies. Yeah, no, really good shout. Some really good points as well, Carl. Um, thanks for persisting with the tech issues. Um, good speaking with you, and I'll uh, speak to you again next time, okay, man? Be well, sir. We are carrying on with the Colin show. Dan has joined me now for the Colin. Dan, welcome to the podcast, eventually. You you almost caught me on mute then, but, uh, but I moved my mask quick. It's nice to be here. Oh, almost on mute. Well done. Uh, Dan was seeing the Eternals this afternoon. We'll have that conversation another time because joining us on the line is Phil from Malibu, California. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's very good to have you. Um, You may hear, uh, and I'm talking to you, Phil, and the listeners listening to this now, some popping in the background. As we record this, we are right slap bang in the middle of fireworks night in the UK. So uh, myself and Dan have decided to record at a time when the whole of the UK are letting off loud explosions in the air. So apologies if you hear that in the background. But Phil, listen, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Well, first of all, I want to thanks, thank you guys because you have a great, a great show. Um, I'm one of those people that never believed in UFOs. I thought anybody was abducted was probably on drugs of some sort. And, uh, you know, just never, never really did the research, uh, had never even heard of a cattle mutilation until a few months ago. Uh, and my brother, dad, they hadn't heard of it, you know, and you start asking about this. And, and so I appreciate what you guys are doing. You guys bring a very common 
sense, uh, logical uh, take to the table. So I appreciate it. Um, no, thank you. The the question I want one of the things that I, I think is so intriguing are are the facts, and I like that you guys stay on the facts of. And I, I you know like to know what's hoax and what isn't, but I think what was so intriguing about the Nimitz episode and I you know you hear about the tic tac and the shape and things like that the the question I have I have a 10 questions but I'll start with one is that the the point that Kevin Day was so amazed by and it's what David Fravor said made his hair stand on end was the fact that after he did his downward spiral and kind of engaged the tic tac that it bolted and went due west. And it's kind of off the coast of where I live. And we I know what where it went. The reports are it went two to five seconds. It traveled 60 miles. Okay. But more importantly, so if you do the math, it's a hundred to two hundred thousand miles an hour. So I, I want to know if those facts are right. The other thing was the crazy part is that it went to a predetermined area that only a handful of people in the top parts of the military on the top, you know, the leaders of the ship knew about. So the question was, was the information in his brain or was it pre-programmed into the plane? Because common sense tells you it read either his brain or he knew where it'd go or it read the computer program that was pre-programmed in the plane. And that is, do you know offhand if it was a pre-programmed destination or if it was just in his mindset where he knew he was going next? Yeah, so I believe, um, and it's, it's something that's brought up quite often, Phil, and as a big talking point in this whole, whole event, the cat point uh, had been used for a few days at least before this happened. So from my point of view, I would suspect that it was a learned behavior and the objects knew they were going there. I don't think, could be wrong, that it was necessarily reading the pilot's mind or even the the computer because it would have seen or noticed because these objects, remember, were were seen for, what, 7 to 14 days hovering just in the distance from the Nimitz and the Princeton. So they were potentially watching and observing and they would have... I think learned that's a point they were going to. And for me, it was a learned behavior. So I don't think, and I've said this, there was anything inside the Tic Tacs. I reckon that a technology that's some kind of AI or drone and just through observations, they were mimicking, which is why it copied Fravor with a spiral. Or right. it basically was showing them, I I can do what you can do. I've been where you've been. And that's that was the point it was potentially making is maybe it was a method of communication. I don't know if Dan wants to come in on that. Yeah, I, I was going to say that this is absolutely something that you and I talk about often, isn't it? Because we, we have the discussion, observe behavior or, you know, is it something more? Uh, Lou, Lou Elizondo often talks about, you know, to use a Doctor Who phrase, timey-wimey stuff, um, that being inside that kind of uh, bubble of space-time would mean that relative to you, the world moves by differently outside of that. If I was making that technology, you know, I, I'd use that to project forward and backward and kind of see a long exposure of what was going on around me. 
Um, so that, you, you know, the, the Tic Tac could have in a way seen where Fravor was going using a method like that. So it's either, you know, something observed and learned, like Andy said, or it's something absolutely incredible because it's consciousness based then, right? Well, there's, there's two other episodes that one is kind of less known and one is more known where these objects, whatever they are, or intelligence are able to read our top computer programs. And the obvious, the first one is the nuclear silos. So, you know, if you heard the story from one person, you, you would question it. Rightly so. You take it with a grain of salt and say, ah, this is true. But when you hear that happen in the U.S. at multiple sites and you hear it happened in Great Britain, you know, and then maybe overseas in other areas, other countries, then you start saying it was able to decipher probably you've got to assume that our nuclear codes are written in the most detailed, hard to crack code there is, right? So it's able to, to check that out enter that code and figure out how to, to decode it or how to shut it down. The, there was a smaller incident that I, I don't know if a lot of people saw, but on the Skinwalker Ranch episodes, there's one where they see a cattle that, that died and they go out to look at it. And the security guard twice in two episodes, he holds out his iPhone, which was locked. Now, the CIA and FBI have not been able to uncrack an iPhone yet his was locked and in two separate episodes it was opened and you could see it skipping through all sorts of, of computer programs. So, you know, some, something else was controlling it. And so in my eyes, I'm looking at, again, you see one episode, you question it, but you say, you look at how this was able to open an iPhone twice on camera open able to access nuclear codes remotely and the third and again you said it could be a learned behavior but you can't any naval aircraft is going to have again top-notch you know security so you can't crack their their codes and it leads me to believe this thing's reading and able to read our top code and you would kind of think that would make sense but it's remarkable we're, we're kind of in the realm of quantum computing here, right? Like what is crazy advanced to us seems super easy to them. And if we can, you know, make a quantum computer that is usable for everyday tasks, then it's going to be able to compute all these different possibilities a lot faster than, than any other computer, you, you know? Um, like you say, th those ships would have been using the highest encryption possible. But once we get quantum computing, that encryption is child's play to it. So there's definitely something like that going on. The It's interesting you bring up the ghost touch thing because I used to work for Apple. And I've seen so many broken iPhones and so many different permutations of them that I, I feel like I have a really informed take on, on the ghost touch stuff. Ghost touch is something that we see, but it doesn't look anything like that when it happens normally it's the occasional touch randomly on the screen people will be using their devices and maybe it'll hit a different letter or something like that um especially when it's a crack screen and caleb's screen was cracked but with this the phone you, you know you can get electromagnetic interference the chances of getting electromagnetic interference that hit you know four or more points in the correct order to guess his password and get into the phone 
that's mind blowing to me. And you're absolutely right to pick up on that because yeah, there, there's it's not just random interference at that point. There, there's an actual you, you know direction to get into the phone. So if you don't mind, I've uh, uh, the last question is it's regarding the the crop circles, which again never was a believer. Um, you start seeing one or two, and I understand you can't conflate you know uh, somebody that's doing it as a hoax with what actually is happening. And you look at the geometric patterns. There is a video. I was wondering if if there's any truth to. It. I think the guy's name was John Whaley. It might have been 1996 where he he there's an it's on video. Is that, was that, it was said it was a hoax and then it said it wasn't. But if that's actually, you would think people would, I mean, some of these are just too remarkable to think it's, it's not coming from, it's not being, it's not man-made. It can't be. The patterns are remarkable. Um, is there any truth to the Whaley incident if you know about it where it was caught on video is that a hoax um and some of the coding that you've seen there's been a couple patterns where they said hey this is there's a sign there's you know here's a pattern of an alien or whatever are, do we think these are real do we think they're signs or messages or and i'll let you tell me what you know because i'm just learning about it and it seems remarkable so i would say that there are a lot of hoaxes in terms of crop circles, you know, people make them, um, they, they're done as marketing kind of things. But when you look into it, you you find out that they're very different to the ones that people find in fields right. randomly overnight, you know, like the stalks are bent differently in a way that we can't really do. To do it in that way takes us a lot longer than one night. Um, and no matter if they, and this is one of the things I love about crop circles, no matter if they're made by hoaxes, uh, you know, man-made, or if they're supposedly naturally formed, they always have weird magnetic effects in them. So it, it's interesting, right? Because it, it, it's almost like something showed us a few of them, and now people are mimicking them and finding out that they can generate these weird effects on batteries and electronics within them by using these shapes. So there, there seems to be a little, almost a nudge to kind of show us something. I, I think, yeah. Phil, my, my big interest in crop circles is Dan's totally right. There's a lot of them that are extremely complex, that have still been shown to be hoaxes and they're, they're made generally quite simply but they still look incredible but it's the ones where the the stalks are bent at such an extreme angle and the inside of the stock the the joints and the the seeds if they're called seeds are burst with like microwave energy and the stock itself is like untouched and it just it would take thousands of of, of hours for someone to even attempt to do that and you couldn't do it with the precision that that's happening so it's those ones for me particularly that are pretty incredible not the ones that look good but yeah they're probably made by a couple of guys and out with the torch on the helmet and the paddle boards but there, there's some points of reference for the really truly anomalous ones like that kind of surgical precision that for me makes them definitely worthy of study and i think it's an area that's it's probably one of the oldest ones in ufology that it's it's poo-pooed and seen as it's a bit crazy and yeah crop circles why the why is something that's still fascinating but it's it's probably one that's understudied if anything for me well i i agree with you because once you look into it again it's the same thing with the decoding you see it happen once you at you say with take it with a grain of salt you say nuclear silos turned off you say okay 
But when it happens in more than one place, it happens numerous times, things that are not logically possible to do, you start buying into it. So the final question, I'm going to let you guys take it. Again, two years ago, I, I just thought this was crazy talk. Never heard of a cattle mutilation. Now you look at it and you say, it's not possible to drain the blood. It's not possible. I think Russ Coltart said there was 50,000 reported to the FBI. So you look at these things and I look at the three. So my question to you is, I'm, I'm kind of a normal guy, family guy, three kids, you know, run a hedge fund. I mean, I'm a boring kind of person and I'm not, I've never been in this. And now guys like me are kind of getting roped in because you're doing the research. You guys are leading it. And I got to tell you, your show is excellent, but you're doing the research. You're getting, you're reaching out to people like us that were never involved in the first place. The question is, why do you think it's not on the front page of the New York Times? Why isn't somebody going out and saying, guys, this is real. This is the biggest story in the world. I do hear some people say that, but it really is. If this is true, which I am, a, I'm, I'm sorry, I went down the rabbit hole and now I'm lost. You know, <laughs> I'm going down all these paths. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is real. And, and it's not fabricated. Why isn't this front page news? So, so my opinion fell on that would be obviously in 2017, it was in December 2017, front page news on the New York Times. That was just the admission of the, the ATIP program. The US government ran a UFO program and it had an interest in UFOs. The issue going forward has been that the, the conversation to go forward, you then have to start printing a little bit more speculation potentially, where you do have to start mentioning ET or alien or right. flying saucers and the public just still have a huge stigma to that sort of language so that we've had that initial article uh, from leslie kane um helen cooper and ralph blumenthal that was all about atip the u.s government it was all like you said science-based data-based fact-based and going forward we've had the 60 minutes piece and we've had these kind of big documentaries it's the moving forward that the, the next steps of the conversation where Lou Elizondo has started talking now about biological effects and, you know, consciousness starts to come into it. That's the kind of stuff that when you put that in front of a news editor, at a serious publication, they don't want to know because they don't think it's going to sell newspapers or get the clicks they want. It's just a conversation I don't think the general public are necessarily ready for. What I think is helping is, I mean, never mind this podcast or any other channel out there just now, but when you get someone like Chris Mellon or Lou Elizondo on Joe Rogan, it's not a UFO podcast, but it gets two or three million downloads an episode. That gets out to a huge portion of the public. Same with Sam Harris, two million YouTube followers talking about UFOs. It gets out to that portion of the public. And like you say, normal, everyday working people like yourself and ourselves start to get more involved in the conversation because they hear people talking about it that don't normally. And I think that for me is something myself and Dan have spoke about ad nauseum off the air, is that's the next step for this conversation, is getting those people involved. And, and I've said the name so many times, but if someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson would start sitting on serious news shows and debating, do you know what? Let's take a look at this again. I think for me, that starts to bring in hundreds of thousands of more eyes 
and that's when you start to get the more serious news broadcasts picking this up more and getting it on the front page of those big newspapers as well. I, I don't see how anybody that's a logical, I, you know, I was a math major, um, you know, so logic based, right? Um, engineers, it breaks the common sense of what these things are doing. So I think that's the purpose. That's the problem because your brain doesn't grasp it. But if you do the homework and you look into and you, you push aside some of the, the, the strangeness of the people that, you know, are a little bit nuts and you go down to the rat rational common sense people, the facts don't really lie. Um, and they repeat and they repeat and the strangeness repeats in different forms. And I just, um, I've taken up more than my time. I appreciate it. You guys are great. Keep, keep it factual. Keep it honest. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Phil. Really appreciate your time, mate. You guys Thank are great. You, Thank you. And and just quickly before you go, I just wanted to say welcome to the field. We're going to be seeing a lot of new faces as this subject grows. And and if we all do our job, it no longer belongs to ufology I'm doing in, in rabbit ears. It's just a normal part of everyday conversation. Next up, we are staying stateside and we're going to Katie in Los Angeles. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for calling in. Uh, Katie, now I just told you before we started recording, I think Dan's going to enjoy this. You were looking to talk about the the idea of human DNA or genetics getting some sort of boost around 70,000 years ago. And then also yes. something about experiencers and insectoids as well. So listen, the floor is yours. On you go. Well, um, I just want to say first, thank you guys for doing what you do. I think it's awesome. And thanks for having me on. I just wanted to say that, uh, like a lot of people, I was really fascinated by what Lou said about 70,000 years ago, something changed. And what if we got a genetic boost? And then you guys actually brought it up on your breakdown uh, when you said, oh, what if humans aren't the first species that might have been uh, genetically boosted in the past? What if they tried it on other species? What if it didn't work out? And then I was listening to the experiencers that you had on, which was uh, devastating and fascinating at the same time. And, you know, many of them mention insectoid beings that are telepathic. And I was just thinking, what if they did try a genetic boost on other species and what if it actually wasn't in our reality or our world but maybe in like a parallel sort of universe and insects have been around for way longer than we have so it's possible they have like a 300 million uh you know um they're 300 million years ahead of us in that reality and I just wanted to know what your take on something like that would be if that's too crazy or or what. Dan, let, let me kick off because I know you're going to bring in the good stuff. Um, so I, I think like you say, Katie, you even mentioned like if something had a 300 million years head start. I, I brought up recently that I noticed in a few different interviews, Lou Elizondo mentioned about what if something was or we had this conversation, but you were five minutes from now. 
and how that might look. And Jacques Vallée, when he was interviewed by George Knapp a couple of weeks ago, also mentioned what about another civilization that was five minutes ahead. Now, maybe they were just picking a random amount of time, but they've both said five minutes. And I've heard that in various other places as well. So like you mentioned, it's really interesting that what if parallel to our reality, our universe, our dimension, whatever you want to label it as, something else was evolving or being created or whatever happened, some insectoid race or whatever it might be, and they just had a five minutes head start. They're five minutes ahead in some way, but maybe they experience time in that different way. Dan refers to it as that long exposure or just how their time works. Five minutes here is is 10 minutes there. So they potentially right. get that longer time. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be hundreds of millions of years in advance. It could have just been that something at some point was different and it took them down a route. They've got the technology and the, the state of consciousness, the evolution that they have now. That's just a thought, not to say that's concrete or anything, but Dan might want to come back no, on No, you've that. said it now. That's on the record. <laughs> I can edit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love the idea. Um, insectoids get mentioned a lot. They, they, was, they were a big part of the Secret Machine series the TTSA did, uh, referred to as kind of the hive, and you, you know, bumblebees were kind of brought into it. So insects are something that I've got my eye on in, in kind of that way. And it fascinates me that when you... You know, when you're trying to swat a fly or something like that, it can move out the way of you, you know, pretty easily because it's experienced in time differently to what you're experiencing when you're trying to swat it. So it lends itself well to the idea that something developed and just experiences time differently to us. You, you know, it it sounds crazy when you say it like that, but scientifically, this is this is what they do. This is how they avoid us. This is how they experience the world. We we have the opposite when you look at a plant and you see it reacting to light. You know, it, it's a biological process still. And just like when we make memories, it's a quantum process. So, you know, it stands to reason that things plug into those processes in all kinds of different ways. Um, we know stuff is weird down at those levels as well. Um, and we, we'd love to kind of, you know, make the, the effects that are experienced there. Uh, they they say micro made macro effects. It just means you know something small made something universe sized. That's it. Um, but if we could manipulate that, it, it you know we could do anything. So it, it makes me think of how insects use frequency to signal each other. You know, there's mimicry mimicry in nature, um, and insects will also kind of beat their legs to create certain sounds. And it was mentioned in a, a valet paper and a Davis paper where they talk about how a particular kind of wasp could make another species think it was something entirely different just by beating its wings differently. So it's kind of like hiding in plain sight. And it made me think, wow, that's super interesting. If, if something could kind of signal us in that way, um, you know, it, it could avoid detection. We, we'd see it as... It could be something that's not a UFO that we see as a UFO when it kind of beats its wings in that way, for example. Um, yeah, I, I love the idea. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting uh, with sort of almost like the camouflage or whatever. And I was thinking uh, I was thinking the 300 million years. And I know it's Lou alluded to the whole time thing in his uh um, analogy with the cigarette, I think, about how, you know, it might burn differently. And 
I was thinking because Dan, I think you brought it up in the breakdown about uh, size, and these insectoids seem to be large when they appear to people, or at least maybe like our size. So that's why I was thinking maybe it was like somewhere in the evolution um, that they were bigger. Or like you said, maybe it's just, I don't know, some kind of flip like on the quantum realm or something like that. Yeah, I, I just want to ask Katie a question. Do you think then if, if we've got like these different realities or universes running alongside, is something still in control of all of that? Or is it a pure random process that different universes have humans evolving others have insectoids evolving something else has some kind of light or you know being of energy evolving do you think something Mm -hmm. is that maybe that zookeeper or simulation type analogy i'm kind of getting at yeah i guess that's the question isn't it is whether it's being intelligently controlled i think more and more every day maybe we're in a simulation (laughs) just because of how things pan out and if something if some beings gave some genetic boost to species then they are sort of in control in a way but i mean i just don't know the, the way yeah, i've said I, I think dan sorry just before you come in that's okay. with, if, if you played sim city or roller coaster tycoon or sim hospital any of those games when you were younger Normally, you start off with the best intentions, things go really well, and then you get kind of bored as it gets more complicated and you leave it. (laughs) I've hit my mic. But then you go back to it like a few weeks later and check your saved game, and the whole city's in chaos. Everything's breaking down, it's going really badly. And I just wonder how are we at that point in any potential simulation where something's let it go too long and they're just coming back now to look at it and going, uh, yeah, this this (laughs) hasn't went well. Yeah, I could totally see that. I was thinking, too, if if maybe the humans in the future are, are in charge of the simulation, it, it seems like things would end up how, how they are just because of how human beings are. Yeah, absolutely. It, it would... Uh... It would be more entertaining for them in that way, for sure. Um, I was just going to say about Andy's question about whether it's random or not, that I think that's kind of a misnomer because it suggests that nature is random and nature is not random. It, you, you know, it bores a vacuum. It, we, we know, or we rather, we have an idea of the conditions that nature moves towards, which is, you know, that we, we would eat and hunt, try and survive. And other things do too. We're, we're now starting to realize when we study the animal kingdom that actually, or sorry, not just the animal kingdom, but life aside from ourselves, that collaboration is actually kind of built into this process of evolution and nature favors species that collaborate, which I think is amazing because for the longest time we've thought of, you know, alphas and it's not really the case that there's an alpha. It, it's more that everything tries to get along. So that in itself is a paradigm shift that would lend very well to us coexisting with another species, whether they're here or not, or yet to be contacted. But it, it makes me think of the process of evolution itself as what people refer to as God. Um, and and it, it's, it intrigues me because it's kind of a creative process. And, and I wonder if, you know, creativity and imagination isn't the engine of the whole thing we're in. Yeah, I was wondering that too. And also wondering if, if these beings or whoever these people are, mankinds, who are uh, messing with things genetically, what if they could engineer like energy to be intelligent 
and that's what ghosts are. I mean, I don't know. It would be kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love it. You, you know, we years ago, I, I always think of, oh, I forget the name of the effect now, but basically up in the Scottish islands, people used to say that they saw angels and that you could go out on a kind of foggy day and you'd wander in the hills and you would see your higher self and they would give you advice and so on and so forth. Now we know that because of the way that the sun refracts in the ice crystals, it will make a shadow of you in a direction that you don't think your shadow should be. And it just kind of creates a halo of light around the head of the shadow. So that kind of natural process is, you know, once it was myth and kind of a, a ghost story, but now we understand it fully. And I think we're going to move that way with the phenomena and everything to do with it because kind of poltergeist activity and that kind of stuff is wrapped up with all of this other stuff that, that we have. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I, I feel like this is a path that leads to us, you know, understanding what a, a, a ghost is and, you know, in a hundred years, they'll look back on us and go, they call them what? <laughs> <laughs> Katie, we'll have to wrap it up as Dan discredits Scottish angels. I don't think we were going to go in that direction. But uh, listen, it's been great talking to you and I do hope you call in again, okay? Sure, thanks for having me. And final call in keeping with the international flavour we've had for this part one, we have Eric and Peter. They are based in Sweden. I think both in Stockholm. Would that be correct or...? Yeah, Stockholm area, yeah. Um, nice. Uh, my name is actually uh, Eric Thomas. So m my friends call me Thomas, but uh, I I've started using my initials because it's ET person. So, yeah. yeah. I, 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 like, you know, yeah. I noticed that on yeah. the emails, the ET, and yeah, then I noticed yeah. then I show. So yeah, we'll, we'll go with Thomas. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. And um, I've yeah. got Peter, and they are from the Swedish UFO podcast, UFO Beyond Reasonable Doubt, uh, which is translated uh, into English, obviously. Do you want to try pronounce that again for us, uh, for the listeners, what it's in Swedish? Uh, are you talking to Dan? No, we'll, we'll go with you first. <laughs> I mean, we'll if you, you want first, people obviously. to understand it, I suggest yeah. you do it. <laughs> it's uh, bottom rimligt tvivel. Yeah. But no one's going to understand that. But it's be unreasonable doubt, but in Swedish. So that's that's what we're called. Very nice. Well, um, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? I've been kind of, my head is full of Roswell at the moment. We're going to do a uh, several part uh, series on the Roswell incident because it's the granddaddy of UFO cases, I would say. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Have you, uh, are you into the Roswell incident, anything? Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah. it's one of those I think that you get into, especially when you you start off on the subject. Mm -hmm. It's it's the first one, and if you're not involved in the subject and you're just one of the the general public who who don't even have a passing interest, you you know about Roswell. If someone mentions Roswell, it's you know oh that's where the aliens crashed or the flying mm -hmm. saucer crashed or so yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of those that it's it's been a long time. I I've said personally, I like a lot of the newer cases because i suppose we have more data more hard evidence there's more witnesses that are still alive which is always a benefit yeah. uh, roswell is is one of those that uh, as the years pass by it becomes more and more myth but it's it's something always still seems to come up from roswell and even after yeah. all these years there's, there's a lot of uh, human aspects a lot of human stories to roswell as well because it's uh, so many people and so much research done so it's kind of these uh, threads of human stories and uh, th that's a that's a really interesting too but of course the nimitz incident is kind of a 
that's a lot of uh, available evidence in that case, of course, and modern mm-hmm. technology and stuff. But uh, um, Roswell is, uh, I think, it's the it's still nothing like the Roswell, the Roswell case in my mind. Did that- you hear about? Uh, did you hear about uh, what uh, Lou Elizondo was asked on his personal opinion on the Roswell incident? Yeah, was this the one hundred percent? Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent on what though? Is that one hundred percent that something happened in Roswell? Because I, I think everyone can agree on that. Yeah. I yeah. suppose he's not going to go into detail on it. Was one hundred percent alien bodies and crash and the pe- yeah. people can kind of take their own story from it. You know, like if you're listening to that from, like Andy says, it could be one hundred percent that something happened. It could be one hundred percent that there was an ET crash. It could be one hundred percent that you know the the other story put forward was that it was children suffering progenic i forget the Mm -hmm. name of the disease now but basically it you know made them look very alien to the people that would have approached the the balloon they were said to be riding on which is Mm. a crazy story anyway but you know that's (laughs) (laughs) yeah you send kids on a balloon yeah yeah right Yeah, but uh, I guess you guys, you follow Lou Elizondo's uh, uh, interviews as closely as we do. So, I mean, you know what he means when he says 100%. <laughs> he, he, he isn't talking about something crashed, right? Yeah, for for me, I, if I had to dig into it, I think Lou's getting at, yeah, something crashed that wasn't human, that, at, at least mm-hmm. that much. Um, I think it's one of those, the details behind that of number of bodies is always rumoured to be, what, three? Two died at the crash site, one was alive, and then the various rumours split off again of one continued to live or died shortly thereafter. Um, Mm. Then there's always rumours of a second crash. Andy, you're being Mm -hmm. offensive. Use the names. She was called (laughs) (laughs) Ariel. Uh, it'll just sound Swedish um, but yeah and that's it there's, there's just various aspects of the story that branches off to well this is what some believe this is what others believe but mm-hmm. yeah you would think someone in Lou's position would have at least heard enough to know that yeah we, we recovered something and it wasn't human and that was the the birth of modern ufology I suppose oh yeah didn't Eric Davis also confirm it some kind of somewhere yeah, he, he's alluded to it, and I think around mm-hmm. the same time, that was when Tim McMillan shared that little tidbit that he'd kind of heard, and he, he went to lengths to kind of emphasize it was something he'd heard, he hadn't seen any proof of it, but you know, uh, the story yeah. was that mm-hmm. the the recovered material was something, you know, a lot stranger than any of us <laughs> think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which was interesting because what what is more strange than you know we we all talk everything from angels to interdimensional creatures to you know just plain old oh life from another planet that crashed that you know <laughs> so so much variation in what we talk about that that's the boring option so mm-hmm. to think okay well what's stranger than all of that it's it's very intriguing it's super yeah, intriguing I, yeah. I know uh, it, stranger would be. I would be really, really surprised if it was a balloon. That would surprise me. Uh, it wouldn't uh, put class as stranger, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But it was surprised me more. I'll say. <laughs> I'm, I'm right. Also, um, Thomas, you wanted to mention the the Welsh uh, Pentrick Pentrick oh, yeah. story. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been checking around a bit about that incident, but uh, yeah, um, 
how's how what's what's your guys opinion on the credibility of the zero okay is that zero better, huh? cre- credibility yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah it's one of those cases where there's a lot of paperwork surrounding it that mm. suggests it's the more prosaic thing but i find that when people start digging into it the the story is so you know kaz experienced something that she didn't understand and i'm sure i would have the same reaction if i was caught in the middle in the middle of a a british military exercise you you Mm. know um but because of the way she she presents that story you know it absolutely did happen to her so the story of you know there were these big lights and i didn't know what they were and you know all, all the details of that it's when she tells it it comes across as genuine because she did have that experience but like I say, when you actually go looking, you can find the the notice that the event was going to be taking place. And um, Graham Randall, uh, I'd suggest uh, it's at Borders uh, five seventy or four seventy seven seven fifty. Seven, oh, Borders seven fifty. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'd, I'd recommend give give him a ping on Twitter because he he's kind of the paperwork guy in IDP mm. Media Group. Uh, mm. Vinny is hot on his heels, mm. and Dave too. Um, but he he will extensively give a a rounded explanation as to why it's something prosaic. Okay, hmm. there's there's a lot to it as well, and again, it's not to try and discredit or poo poo someone's experience, but uh, I think Kaz's story sounds very well rehearsed at this point, and also the fact that she had claimed to have had no interest in UFOs before the event yet some people checked out her own private Facebook page, which before the event happened, she was a member of various pages alluding to UFOs as well. So mm-hmm. there's just plenty in it that doesn't add up to it yeah. being anything incongruency. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, yeah. uh, I've heard rumors about uh, such uh, information. But, uh, but it, it's a good thing to bring up because at no point here you know even though kaz has told the story a bunch of times she did have that experience and she's not lying from her Mm. point of view you know i I always find when people have these conversations if you say oh i believe it's something prosaic they'll call they'll say oh you saying that she's lying straight away and it you you don't have to be calling them a liar no no of course not prosaic you know i'm I'm sure you guys understand but i just thought i'd make the point because i see a lot of people in the community do it it's either you're telling the truth or you're a liar it's like no there's a gray area in between of course yeah Yeah, 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 yeah. when it comes to witnesses you have to divide them uh, a model from the uh from my work is uh, if you divide the witnesses if you look at them and judge them in two two character characteristics right that one is credibility how how much how honest they are right this is this easy fast explanation and the other part is how trustworthy their info is so how good are are their uh, eyesight hearing uh, is it supported by other information? What are their education experience, and so on, so on? So, if you measure those, that's that's why the Nimitz incident uh, really sticks out because the uh, credibility and the uh, amount of trust you can put in their testimonies both were really, really high. So, yeah, and they can call on a lot of different data and systems that, yeah, we don't necessarily get those. We've got the video, but you've got highly qualified military personnel telling you what data they had and what they saw. So mm. either they're, they're all lying about that or they're, they're being honest 
for yeah. the most part, and they're recalling mm. what they remember happened on those days, and that's just where the the pen Turk, the the Welsh case for me, just doesn't hold up any any water at all. But yeah. I, I would always encourage people to go and do their own their own research into it, like you gents are doing. Yeah, I kind of let that case go since I heard the rumors about uh, some strange information. But but what about the uh, photos of the um, trees, the trees that have been broken down and such? Is that not from the incident or is it? Uh... The, the trees were from, if you look on the map, I, I don't actually live too far from where it happened. Yeah. And and mm. if you if you look on the map, the the forest with those photos were taken where the forestry commission mm. came down and started cutting down trees that that forest was in a, a much different spot um mm-hmm. you, you know it's mm-hmm. i don't want to guess how long it'd take to drive between it but it, there was a there was a bit of legwork involved to get to a different spot so i i almost mm. feel like you know some work just happened then someone saw it and has linked it with the event when in they're not necessarily linked i would say okay but something, I mean, trees don't break apart in in that height. Something must have happened at that place. Uh, but we don't know what what crashed into those trees. Exactly, no. and okay. and we don't we don't have anyone from that you know that live right by that forest where that happened saying, oh yeah, a UFO went and crashed into there. It's only the person from a couple of towns over saying it and saying, well, oh. this must be that then. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. it could be, but maybe, you know. <laughs> you start to stretch it. But uh, gents, we'll have to wrap up because that's yep. gone just over the time. But listen, um, I'll put the link for the podcast. Any Swedish listeners out there looking for mm-hmm. a Swedish language-based podcast, there are not many of them out there. And I would suggest you check out UFO Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Or, Thomas, if you want to give us that one more time in Swedish. UFO, UFO bottom rimligt tvivel. Or maybe we should get uh, Dan to practice his Swedish since, since yeah, his go on, Dan. Uh, last I'll, name. I'll, I'll practice for when uh, for when you guys come back <laughs> yeah. on next. I don't yeah. want to butcher it. <laughs> Don Setterström. <laughs> Thank you but, for teaching me how to say my surname properly. It's very appreciated. But listen, great, let's yeah. keep in touch as well, gents, and let's get something set up for you to come on and discuss some, some Swedish cases as well. That would be good. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, perfect. We'll do Let's that. Speak okay. with you, boys. Great Take speaking care. with you. Yeah. Have a good day. Cheers. Bye. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little The game is full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz.
Tic-tac and not quite a saucer. 